Podcast 42, Intentional Community, Part 2. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. I don't know what we're talking about, but... Uh, well, um, for, first, uh, I wanted to express that um, uh, yesterday I went out and I visited uh, a few other podcasts that were permaculture podcasts, and um, I thought I thought some of them were were really quite good. I mean, they they seem to be professionally made and stuff, um, and and so uh, uh, um, I don't know. There, in fact, one of them, one of the podcasts. In fact, I listened to the whole podcast. Uh, was with the author of Liquid Gold, uh, which is oh. Carol Steinfeld, and um, I, I, I thought that that the questions were kind of like you know general, which is okay. I mean, for people that aren't familiar with composting toilets and stuff like that. They would probably find that podcast to be awesome. Um, only I feel like if I had Carol Steinfeld on the phone, I would um, I would grill her on a bunch of different topics that I would find to be really important. Um, but but anyway, the the thing is is that they had this lovely intro and then they did the podcast and it kind of seemed like the person asking the questions had their shit together and was like you know asking these very professional sounding questions like she had them all written down ahead of time or something like that. And um, and then there was like this closing music and everything, and clearly whoever did that was like, uh, you know, uh, focusing on doing a good job. Unlike me, right. I just <laughs> I I just turn the thing on, and what you get is what you get. And, and uh, um, so I've, and we've, your, I've, your well, interviews I, are more conversational too. They're, they're less prepared and more conversational. Okay, that sounds like a good thing. I like the way you put that. It makes it sound better. <laughs> um, I I uh, I guess the key is I've had some more people talk to me about oh you should do this and you should do that. You need to you know focus on whatever. And and um, I just want to emphasize that no, I don't want to. Um, I, I mean, I'm cranking out. I'm right lately, we've been getting out a podcast every day, um, which has got to stop at some point because I know I'm not. I know we're not making podcasts every day, and um, uh, and I've been cranking out a video pretty much every other day, and uh, not to mention managing the forums and all that stuff. There's just not enough time. I, you know, when I listen to those podcasts, it's like, wow, they sure they sound so nice. But I guess the point I'm trying to the main point is is hey. There's other podcasts. And, of course, the other podcasts I listened to were very emphatic on stuff like the uh, the principles, the ethics, uh, things like that, which, um, uh, you know, I know that they're out there and I don't have them memorized and I don't, like, go and, and pin something up next to my wall with uh, the list or anything. Um, and, frankly, I, I could do the th- the three ethics, I, I've got those in my head, but the 12 principles, I don't think I could rattle those off. I don't, in fact, I'd, I'm not even sure I could even point out one in a lineup. Uh, you could. But I, you told me at one point that the reason you were doing the podcast is you just 
felt you needed to get some information out there. And the podcasts are a little bit different. They're more of what you might call a core dump or something than they are a discussion on the forum or even um, your articles that you write. So it was just a way of getting some things out there that weren't quite a polished article or weren't uh, a lengthy discussion. So is is that still how you feel about the podcast? I do. I mean, I started making the podcast because we had like about 25, 27 people saying, please make a podcast. (laughs) And, um, uh, you're such an engineer. not not many people, but an engineer would differ between 25 and 27. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was about, it was about that. It was about that. Um, right. Right. So, uh, um, and, and, uh, so, but now I'm, I'm, what's, what's feeding me on it is the, the, the whole core dump thing and, um, being able to get the information I feel like I've got a bunch of stuff in me, and I feel like if I can get all this information out, then uh, other things can move forward. And on top of that, I I like the idea that um, I I feel like if I can get all this information out, then there are a lot of other people that know a lot more about these things than I do, and then they will. I mean, these people seem to, to come out. And, and 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 then provide additional information, which then helps me grow. Um, and I mean, I I feel like there's so much for everything that I know. There's probably a thousand things I don't. And uh, and out of those thousand things I don't know, um, probably a hundred of them that I actually want to know. And and so uh, I I I feel like uh, it it helps me to. to get to the point of where I'm moving forward rather than this ongoing sea of uh, people feeling like it's important to educate me on the importance of the fluorescent light bulb. And and it's like, you know what, uh, I want to move way past that. Or, or the importance of why GMO is bad. And it's like, Wow, GMOs being bad is that's that's like so ten years ago, um, and I've got I've got other other details, bits and bobs that I want to um, explore. Well, well, and and what you've enjoyed so much about permaculture is that it's solutions oriented. It's not about you know shaking the finger at the GMO, but it's okay. How can we grow healthier food? You know, and not even have to think about GMOs. Well, you know. But um, so you have this core dump. You have this idea of getting a bunch of podcasts out. And and now that we're talking about it, when you first told me about this, you know, you had about five or more key ideas that I knew you wanted to get out in podcasts. We talked about them. I documented some of them for you, tried to help you organize the ideas. But since then, there's been more and more and more podcasts you want to do. And you are continually learning in this space and growing in this space, as you just said, for every one thing you know, there's a thousand things you don't. And that's the case for anybody at any level. So um, I'm sure it's that way for staff even, you know, as hard as that might be to believe. (laughs) True. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where you're going to find an end with it. I, I think what will probably happen is once you get on land, you just won't have time. And it may have to be once a month or once a week or something, and you'll do a podcast. I imagine it would probably be 
just at meals. Um, you know, maybe maybe we'll be recording dinners uh, at at the new land as we all sit around the table and we uh, recap on the day or pontificate about the next day or something like that. Um, well, but, Besides just talking about the qual, you know, the quality of the podcast, the reasons for the podcast, the format of the podcast, and how you're going to do more podcasts, was there, was there a piece that you, a permaculture piece that you wanted to address in this too? Well, yeah. Today we're going to talk about community, aren't we? I mean, we've been taking notes on this for like yes. two weeks. Yes. And uh, we had a podcast that we did earlier about community stuff, and and then there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't get to, and then afterwards we kept saying, I, I know that that you were asking me, or I don't remember what it was, but I would I remember coming up with. Um, like, uh, oh, here's another thing, and oh, here's another thing, and oh, you know what I need to make sure I mention, and the next time we do the podcast, we need to, right. and so right. I know you've been you've been taking care of a list for community stuff. Okay. Um, oh, I know why I was thinking about quality. Somebody was saying that they they heard a podcast and they could hear like the sound of dishes in the background oh. as as we were eating. And, mm-hmm. and it was with Helen, and my thoughts were, I like the idea that it's like, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to eat. This is like one of the few times we get to talk, and so let's make it into a podcast, and, and we'll stack our functions. Mm-hmm. And 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 people, were, this person was saying they found that noise distracting, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Be distracted. <laughs> well, and I. I- I think that's a big part of your style. I, I think a lot of people have made lots of, you know, suggestions to you, not just about the podcast, but about your videos and even about the forums. And 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 I'm guilty of that, too. Um, people have said, well, man, if you just make it prettier, more people will see it. Um, and yet, <laughs> really, really. Uh, and, and, and yet, um, I think on one of the podcasts we talked about, you know, maybe I think I said the silly thing of, you know, maybe someday you'll have a camera crew going with you to make your videos. And then you <laughs> scoffed at that. So I wow, if I have that, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you just like pulling your little tiny camera out of your you- overall pocket. What do you what do you do if you show up to a farm with uh, a crew and you've got like your your sound crew and you got your guy with the great big video camera and you got all this and and I mean first of all I can't help but think that the farmer's going to feel a little bit like oh fuck <laughs> and, and and it's like okay you better perform or we're going to make you look awful uh, you know and and then the other thing is is like most of the farms I get to there's like it's 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 not so much like they've got some a, a whole lot of super permaculture stuff going on. A lot of times it's more like um, they're ramping up and right. they're they've got their garden in and it's all in rows and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, everything's. <laughs> Standard farm stuff. Uh, all the animals are kept in a barn, uh, and they are wandering around in their own shit. And they have to build a compost pile because, um, you know, there's stuff to compost. Whereas, you know, 
my philosophy is is that uh, you know on a farm then then you won't have a compost pile because everything's managed without having to do that work. I don't know. It's like, um, hey, well, where do you keep your food? I keep it in a freezer. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's not really a different thing. That's pretty normal. Um, but if they had a Wafati freezer, you know, that would be pretty awesome. And I've been collecting footage of a lot of root cellars, and I'll, eventually I'll have a composite of root cellars. But anyway, right. if you showed up with a camera crew, I think it would just be like, yeah, this isn't gonna. <laughs> this is so right. they end up paying cool. the whole crew, and there's like really nothing. So you have to send somebody over to kind of scope it out. I, I don't know. No. Well, and I, and I think a lot of what you're doing is DIY, do it yourself, and it fits with a lot of permaculture models of okay, let's reuse, re, you know, let's use what we have on hand, keep it simple, keep the expenses low, um, recycle. And and I think the way you go about making your stuff is, is very much in that style and fits with a lot of people who like that style. Yeah. So um we're, we're getting enough people they're, they're getting there's skillions of downloads and it's like some some podcasts get downloaded half as much as other podcasts so it's not like they're all set up on some sort of auto auto download thing that people have told me about um some people will listen to you know um, so anyway depending on the, the topic more people will listen to it so and and we're getting like on average uh i would i would say we're averaging a little more than a thousand per podcast right now and it does seem like the older ones are getting more so sure Maybe a year from now they'll get another thousand downloads. I don't know. But the thing is, is we can say a big gob of stuff. All right, all right. So um, <clears throat> moving right along, that was <laughs> wow. Thirteen minutes of talking about nothing. <laughs> well, it just we're circling back around your reasons for what you do and why you do it and how, why you do it, how you do it. So. And there's a lot of stuff out there that's covering the aspects of social justice, which is something I'm not real, you know, while it's important, it's not something that's part of my focus. And then there's a lot of podcasts out there that are talking about the ethics and the principles. And I think uh, on a Wheaton Eco scale, I think they're going to be more level two to level three or four stuff. And, and I, you know, so there's lots of that out there. Um, and, and I, I Googled permaculture podcast and, and was a little sad that I didn't make the top 10. Uh, and it's like, Oh, well, <laughs> on, on the other hand, I'm, there are a lot of people downloading my stuff. So good enough. Right. Well, and it's just another way to get, get some information out there. So, um, and so you had a few other things after the last Intentional Community podcast. Has That one hasn't been published yet, or was it? No, it hasn't been published yet. yet. I, I just okay. sent that over to Susie Bean yesterday. Okay. So um, that one, you know, by, obviously by the time this podcast is out, that one will probably have been out. And as a response to our discussions in making that podcast, um you went out to the Intentional Communities Forums on permies.com and created a thread that was the math about relationships. Yes. 
So because of that podcast that we made, I've I had uh, at least for a while there been a lot more active in that forum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and another. So there's that one, yeah. With 12 people, there are 66 relationships. So I sat down and I did the math. And then with, in fact, I want to open that thread up. And with 20 people, there are 190 relationships. So like in Dominhur, which is this amazing community in Italy, uh, they have like hundreds, I think like 900 people live in there or so, maybe even over 1,000 by now. But um, it's all divided up into these households. Each house houses 20 people. Uh-huh. And um, I've, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I visited with one of their people who was on tour in the United States, and uh, we, I was part of a group that helped to host them coming to the Seattle area. Man, this must have been this is a long time ago, but uh, uh-huh. um, I got to visit with them, and it, and it sounds like things work fairly smoothly. But then, on the other hand, it's I can kind of understand how it can't be any other way because everybody's day is kind of scheduled all day. Like, you're given pretty much eight hours to sleep. (laughs) Ready? Sleep! Wow. (laughs) And then eight hours later, they'll be waking you up. (laughs) Time to get up! Wow. um, But, uh, I mean, a lot of people are going to be thinking, oh, I could never do that. But this is a group of artists. And, And, you know, you think about it, of all the people in the world, who's going to be getting along really easy and who's going to be not getting along so easy? I I would imagine that artists are going to be the most difficult. I mean, that's kind of part of their part of art, isn't it? To kind of draw deeply upon your soul as opposed to logic and reason. And I think logic and reason is going to be dictating, hey, you know what? We ought to get along. That would be, Getting along would make things smoother. And um, uh, I don't know. It seems like the, the art, artist's mentality is... Um, well, there's a stereotype that artists are, um, you know, more passionate or more fiery or more emotional. It's a okay. stereotype. So and, um, yeah. that's dominantly an artist's community, or uh, but it's also artists with a bit of spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and they do spend, a, I, I think there's a required meditation for everybody who's part of their you know, permanent community, um, which, you know, frankly, I've never been a meditation guy, but um, uh, I, I, I just found the things that they had to say really fascinating. Not that I'm going to, you know, for, for the uh, the thing that I'm going to be setting up, not that I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, let's... Um, Let's make meditation part of that. Um, but uh, uh, I did find it interesting how they were having 20 people per house living together, and they were really having no problems. Whereas when you visit other communities that have you know anything more than three, the the, the problems seem to be pretty much standard issue. Right, um, right. Yeah. But, so it, it, it's a model I've heard you talk about quite a bit, and I know it's a model um, you, you've mentioned quite a bit, too, you know, even in talking about, you know, well, how can a big house be eco? Well, if you fill it full of people, then it could be more eco. So 
Right. So with 20 people, they have 190 relationships. And if that house of 20 people were managed by consensus, then it's like the 190 relationships would have to be in quite good condition in order for consensus to function. Um, And you bet they don't use consensus. Um, apparently what happens is is that the household will once a year elect who's in charge of the household. And that person then basically, I don't know, chooses or something. And I would imagine that if they've got a 1,000-plus people in the entire community all broken up into these 20-unit households, I imagine that you might be able to find a household that's going to be like, you know, your style. Like, that household over there is not quite my style uh or you might be of the space of like that household over there is riddled to the gills with toddlers and i'm going to be in a different household (laughs) i don't have any toddlers uh you know um personally i've done the toddler thing i'm i'm good i'm set i've had my quota uh um but anyway i or, or somebody might be in a household and it's like oh it's it's more of a, of a wild loud house and other households are more quiet and you know zen or something i i don't know um and 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 that's another thing too is that uh, it seems like most everybody who goes to dominhur has a, a spiritual aspect that they follow and so some may, might literally be Zen, and others might be Christian, and others might be Jewish, and others might be Muslim, and whatever. And and so <clears throat> that might be uh, the flavors that you would find in these many, many different kinds of households. Anyway, we talked about the many relationships and the difficulty of having one relationship, let alone trying to manage a household with 66 relationships, right. uh, which would be 12 people. Uh, and now we just actually, I just did the math and put the numbers up. So they're right. there. Right. And then it, it, it triggered quite the conversation, and people are saying, well, it's not just that simple, Paul. It's, you know, it's not just numbers, and there's more to it than that. And 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 what we didn't talk about in this were, were the different uh, um, management or decision-making styles of intentional communities, which we talked about in the first podcast and what we we didn't intend to totally review that here but this illustration of all the different types of relationships is just one reason uh one example of how difficult it can be to be in community and i also put out my document um that was about the hybrid um, the idea of the independent consensus dictator hybrid. Um, right. And, and you and put this, that on richsoil.com, That's on richsoil.com, right? Well, I got, there's a thread about it at Permies in the okay. Intentional Community Forum. But, but yeah, okay. that's, uh, it's out at Rich Soil. And this is a document that I wrote a long, long time ago. Um, probably 2003, 2004, something like that. And um, the document is uh, about how this very large website is managed. And um, 
Uh, it explores um, the uh, the value of consensus. I mean, consensus does have some very strong values, um, and and it's a great thing. And at the same time, uh, basically on on Java Ranch, uh, a lot of the work that's done is totally independent. And the idea is is that it's an all volunteer site, and somebody steps up and says this needs to be done, and uh, they kind of think about how to go about doing it, and they're pretty sure that if they did it this particular way that nobody would object. And then later, if anybody did object, well, they could always undo it. Um, And so uh, uh, they'd move forward. And um, uh, and then sometimes as as you're about to do something, you think, you know, somebody might object. And so you're going to bring it up to the crowd, or you might bring it up to, like, only one person could possibly object. And you'll bring it up to that one person and see if you can then reach consensus. Uh, or you bring it up to the group and see if you could get consensus. And um, and then if consensus isn't quick and coming or um, if things start to get a little heated or whatever, then in comes the tyrant dictator, and that would be me. Uh, and, and so this is a large site. This, the site gets uh, 2.7 million people per month. And uh, it's managed by about 40 volunteers. Uh, and uh, I'm one of the volunteers. I'm I'm the volunteer in charge, uh, I suppose. Um, and uh, um, but and every once in a while, uh, you know, I, I lay down the, the land. And it, what happened was that it used to be that that we did kind of I kind of tried to stay out of things and let the volunteers just do their own thing. And uh, man, the 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 staff started uh, getting angry with each other. They would have a path that they would want to uh, go down, and and uh, they would divide and be angry with each other. And uh, now what I do is I step in much earlier. And when things start to get the tiniest bit heated, I step in and I say, this is the way it's going to be. Then, then half of the group thinks I'm awesome, and half of the group thinks I'm a dumbass. And um, but but then they're mad at one person instead of mad at a bunch of people. They're just mad at me, and then I just have to try and stay out of the way a lot. <clears throat> but um, the thing is, is that uh, the site's been around for 12 years now. And and it's massive. It's really massive. So so I'd have to say that this is this is a a success model. Now I've, a lot of people would say that's an online community. That's not going to work for uh, an in-person community. And um, I think that the point that's being made about how one can't transfer to the other is a valid point. Um, however, I think that the that uh, I think it does work. I think it's it's often demonstrated for community. This is this is this is the system that's currently in use for nearly every business, for nearly every old folks home, for nearly every farm where it has a bunch of people working there, uh, whether they are paid or not. And uh, and 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 I just would like to interject that I've listened to and read a bit about John Gottman's work, which he's done amazing study on marital relations, and he can predict with 95% accuracy on whether the marriage will succeed or fail just by how the man and woman talk to each other. 
and 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 I think a lot of what you um, stop in terms of your rules to be nice and in in not shooting down volunteers because you've told me over the years some of um, where you step in to keep things respectful between the volunteers. Um, it's very you're stopping and eliminating the very things that Gottman who has a PhD and has done amazing research in this area, the things he sees that tears a relationship apart, you walk in and you stop that stuff. So, so um, you know, there's all kinds of fancy terms on it. I don't even remember half of the fancy terms, um, but I'm sure there's some listeners out there that have heard of John Gottman and his work. Um, and I, I think there's, there's, so I think that's how it correlates to real life and real relationships. Well, well, I of course have no idea that I'm stopping bad things that Gottman has verified are bad. Um, but that's cool. Makes me sound cool. <laughs> Makes me sound brilliant. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. Um, the rule set that I function from is probably. Um, not as rich as the rule set that he monitors or looks for. Um, uh, I mean, I think uh, um, I think I'm I'm lucky more than anything else as far as like I've you know stumbled onto something that appears to work because I'm sure that everybody I know that there are gobs and gobs of forms that are set up that fail that just never get used and um and and it's like i keep seeing people setting up forums and we're going to have an awesome forum we're going to be better than uh-huh. facebook you know and uh-huh. and uh they've they've got it all figured out and and then it's a it's a total face plant because there's so many things that they just don't understand and and i don't think and if i tried to tell them they would be sure that i was wrong until they got three or four years into it and they experienced a bunch of stuff, and then they would be like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> so, well, I, yeah, and, and I, I don't think readers readers or listeners or forum folks, I don't, I don't think they really want to hear about the correlation between the forums and, and real-life communities. I think they want to hear more examples of real life communities and I wrote down two um, two examples two different farms and then there was also that um, meal sharing um, that you did at a community house that was just such an economic value for organic food right. and sharing food with more people in a household so, so those were the three things that I think we're touching on today about intentional community, and then these will be more, you know, hard and fast examples that that I think people will enjoy. Okay. Well, before we go into that, let me just wrap up the thing about the independent consensus dictator hybrid. Oh, and right. and that is that I I do think that this is the ultimate model for community. Uh-huh. And and that basically um, 90% of the decisions that are made you just make independently because you think no one else is going to care. Uh, 
And then about 8% of the decisions you bring up to those that you think will care, and you try and work it through in a consensus fashion. And then the last percent is going to be stuff where the dictator is going to come in and lay the things down. And, and this basically does work out to technically, this whole system does end up technically being a dictator-based thing, which, which works out being the fiefdom model that we do have threads for at, at uh, the Intentional Community Forum at permies.com. Um, which is different, of course, than what Diana Leaf Christian advocates. And Diana Leaf Christian is the superior knowledge set. So I am suggesting a deviation. And, um, and I, I think that there are a lot. And, and in fact, I also think that this is something like what Lost Valley is moving to. Although, you know, I'd, I'd have to get more information on that to be sure. Yeah, they're moving right. away from consensus. We mentioned that in the first one. And Diana Leaf Christian has participated on the forums and has great books. And yeah. Find her out there, too. Yeah. Let's talk about these other. Um, so this would be, let's, let's start with Alpha Farm. And sure. in, in 2005, I visited Alpha Farm. They are, uh, I think, about half an hour west of Eugene, Oregon. So I think they're halfway between the coast and Eugene. And um, I stopped by there. I was there for about three or four hours. Um, I did manage to take some pictures, um, and, and they had some they had some relatively neat things going on there. Uh, there was a, a woman that gave me a, a tour, and there was a bunch of uh, a, a huge canning shed that they had going on that I thought was really neat. Um, and uh, their garden stuff was apparently non-existent two years before I got there. Now they've been a community for something like thirty years, I think. And um, uh, I think that there were like four people who got together and bought the land um, originally, and I think only one of them is still actually living on the land. And um, this one person that's left behind um, <clears throat> is somebody who I get the impression that everybody else respects a lot, and this woman uh, teaches consensus. And so I asked a lot of questions about the consensus that they were using there. Um, and it sounds like, for one thing, it's a, it's a totally open place. Anybody can come at any time and move in, is what my impression was. They were like, hey, want to move in? You can move in right now. You can, you can move in today, this moment. We'll set you up, set you up with a room. And my impression is, is they'll let anybody move in at any time. And uh, there is there is a requirement that everybody there has to work, <clears throat> and I think I think that the work that people do pays for a bunch of stuff, and then everybody gets like a stipend. Uh, this this is my impression of how it functions. Um, but back to consensus and community. Um, uh, my you know they, I I asked them about okay so how does consensus work so like let's say two people are uh, in the community and they're like wanting to each do something that's similar yet different and uh, they don't agree on how it should be done um, and they're both willing to do the work so how does that work out I mean does it does it go to the consensus system does it go to the group says, yes yes it goes to everybody and then when I visited with them here's here's kind of the impression that I got about how it works out 
Everybody sits down, they talk about the issue, and then everybody kind of waits to see what this one woman has to say. And then everybody just agrees with whatever it is that she said. And and so technically it is still a consensus system, but the thing is is that they have such respect and admiration for this one person that that everybody just does what she says. They don't want to even really think about it. They just want to do whatever it is that she says. So right. so you've technically got a consensus based system. On the other hand, it's it's unofficially really a dictatorship. Um, and, and the bond of the dictatorship is done entirely through admiration, respect, and trust, not through uh, the dictator having a gun to their heads or you know, a threat of violence or cash flow or anything like that. It's, it's entirely respect and trust. Uh, so um, I, I thought that was an amazing story. And, and I visited with uh, Diana about this. And and she said, you know what? This woman is so amazing that if you were, because she wasn't, this woman wasn't there when I was there. And okay. oh, and I asked, I said, well, what about when this woman's not here? What happens then? And you've got a decision to make that has to be done through consensus. They wait. They wait until she comes back. They'll whatever it is, it'll sit for a week or two until this woman comes back. And and then they'll have the meeting, and then they'll wait and see what she has to say, and they'll go along with that. So uh, anyway, Diana was saying that this woman, she says, if you meet this woman, you'll understand. She's uh, She's got this very regal presence, and she's got this way of speaking that's very elegant and, and uh, with a great diction, you know, and it's kind of like you're just awed by the words that she says, and so everybody's charmed to the bone by just being around her. I mean, you, she said, so Diana was telling me, you go down there and you have a conversation with her and see if you can argue with her about anything. You kind of can't, because she's just so cool. <laughs> you just want to say yes to whatever she has to say, because it's, it's got to be right, because it just sounds cool coming from her. She seems so cool. So uh, what what is what, a community that's that, driven by one cool person, I guess. Yes. Well, you you called it a consensus single leader kind of model, where the single leader just kind of is organic, arose out of the group. Right. So then that leads me to the story of Pragtree. <clears throat> and um, so Pragtree is about 45 minutes north of Seattle. And... Um, uh, they uh, so I've I visited out there like six times I think, and um, uh, beautiful place, big orchard. Um, I really want to go and do permaculture stuff there, um, but that's another story about how that went. Uh, um, but it, 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 my earliest experiences kind of went like this. <clears throat> you you go out. I mean, officially everything there is consensus officially. Uh, and they've, it's a land trust that owns it, so uh, then the land trust is managed by consensus also. And I think they own like seven different chunks of land, and it, and the, basically their bylaws say it has to be consensus. So 
Uh, on the land, there are um, a few different structures, a shop and whatnot, and then there's one house uh, through a... Ver- uh, you know, I don't fully understand what happened, but somehow uh, this guy built the house, and the girlfriend uh, stayed, and they broke up, and then he went away, and, and so somehow it's like, if everything is agreed to this particular way, you're allowed to build a house here. I, I don't fully understand, but there's one woman there who's, who's always stayed there, and she's a lovely woman. And but but let's let's for the rest of the discussion, I'm going to go ahead and leave her out as if she's not part of it because it gets kind of complicated. But, so leaving her out, <clears throat> then what happened was is that uh, when I was there. For the first time, there's like, I don't know, like eight people living there. And um, they're all wanting to do ag stuff, farm stuff, things of that nature. And uh, there's one guy uh, who appears to be the person that everybody turns to. And so rather than even bringing everything up under the formal consensus model, that they all kind of each focus on an aspect of what's going on and then if there's ever a time where the aspects might cross or it might diverge from the, the from the overall uh, direction they check with this one guy this one guy is kind of like the guy he kind of seems to be knowing what everybody's up to and and pulling it all together and he's doing a lot of the work and and he's probably maybe he's doing the lion's share of the work i i'm not really sure about that but but basically um everybody turns to this one guy ever you know and as this one guy kind of coordinates between everybody so well, um, and, and someone who has more history and more knowledge and more longevity of relationships with everybody and knows the bylaws and knows what works and doesn't work. You know, a lot of times you'd have someone who has that kind of expertise, experience, and and knowledge. Right. And so my earliest impressions were that everybody just went along with that one guy. Now, later I heard all kinds of other information about all the relationships going on between all these people, and it's very complicated, and then there's, you know, but I'm going to leave all that out for the moment. I'm going to focus on, there's a point I have to make. The key is, is that the farm thrived. It moved forward. There was a honey business that did well. There was a skin care business that did well. There was a lot of um, uh, businesses being created, and the people that were living there were doing well. Um, and, and, and basically, um, a person would be in charge of their own little aspect. So one person kind of ran the bee operation, and another person kind of ran the chicken thing, and another person kind of, you know, you get the idea. Sure. Time passes, everything's awesome, and then this one woman who had been there for a long time and was working within this and experiencing all the benefits of it, had a change of mind. I want to say change of heart, but I think it was a change of mind. And decided that this one guy was no longer as smart as she originally thought and got the idea that she wanted to do things that were different from what the one guy wanted to do. And so 
she um, tried to persuade him to this space, and by tried to persuade, I think her language was not very persuasive. It may have been more like, you will do as I say now, and which didn't go over well with him, and, and so then there was now conflict. Okay. And so now you evoke the official rules of consensus. And then everything came to a standstill. Um, and, and in the end, everybody, with the exception of the one woman that's living in that one house that we're not going to talk about, I'm going to say, everybody left. Wow. In fact, I think, I think everybody left except for the one woman. But then nobody wanted to come and stay there because of the one woman. And so eventually, my understanding is, is that the greater organization said that one woman, said to that one woman, go away. Sure. And then once she went away, then people started to come back again. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, I, I just feel like, what an amazing story. That through the power of consensus, one person can be so nasty as to drive away everybody else from the entire community. And you think about it, you know, with permaculture, the idea is that you come in and you do stuff in such a way that you really get the benefit like five years down the road. I mean, you plant all these perennials, and for the first few years, they don't do so much. They don't produce much. Right. And then after five years, they're producing quite a bit. And then after ten years, they're really producing. So um, it's a gamble. You know, do you want to go into a community where things are so bad? And, and they were doing a lot of permaculture-esque stuff there, trying to move down permaculture road. And at least they were calling their stuff permaculture. And there was a, there was a lot of very savvy folks there. And uh, so they were making some long-term commitments. They were really setting down some roots. And then finally they got to the point where it's like, you know what? To get away from this heartache, it's worth it to pull up all of our roots and leave and, and leave behind everything we've put into this land, leave behind all the heart and soul we've put here, and go somewhere else. You know, because this is not worth it. And, and then when they did that, they probably, wherever they got to, they said, and you know what? We're going to not do community because now we've been burned uh, by, and I've talked to hundreds of people who have been burned by community experiences. And I should point out they were all consensus-based community experiences. I imagine there are going to be a few that were non-consensus-based, but there's quite a lot that were. All right, so that's my story of Pradry. Right, which was, again, initially another consensus single leader model that kind of devolved, unfortunately. But um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's, it is interesting how we can gravitate towards these single leaders, you know, just naturally, I think. Well, I, I think an important thing is, is that you depend, the consensus system depends on everybody being noble. And, and here we have a case where one person um, took a more human path and, and basically um, uh, said, you all have to do things my way or I will destroy the whole thing. And they wouldn't 
do everything her way. You know, you are not my boss. And so she did. She effectively did. She made things so awful that they left. And and so I I think that on the other hand, if that one trusted person, um, if it was set up to be pretty much a dictator system, um, a fiefdom, whatever you want to call it, that you know, it said, okay, I'm the land manager, and um, I'm going to be here for 20 years, and if you don't like the way I do things, then you, the one woman, have to leave. Now, of course, if the one woman were in charge of property, she would effectively have what she ended up having towards the end where nobody else wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, this is where I like the idea of like having thousands of farms with one person in charge each, and then a person can go and shop around and say, you know what, this farm looks like a good fit for me. I like the way things happen at this one farm. And I find that the one person who's in charge is trustworthy and will do the right thing, and everything will be fine. After all, if nothing else, that one person's been there, and a lot of the... I mean, I think that's one good metric to go by. How long have people been living there? Who's been there the longest? I mean, if you've got, like, five people that have been living there longer than ten years, I think there's a good chance that it's probably a pretty smooth community. But then it's like, you know, if you go to a community and the longest anybody's been there has been seven months, and the community's been around for five years... It's like, wow, high turnover must mean things are not real smooth. Right, right, right. So I I think the theory you're going with here, and I think some people can play devil's advocate with this, um, is that if there is a management structure where it's more, you know, where it is, a single leader that does have decision-making power. You know, a lot of things run by consensus, but they do have decision-making power. Your theory is that you think um, more of a dictator hybrid model could get rid of a difficult person, could or should get rid of a difficult person easier than a consensus model would. It, it does seem, you know, I can imagine, and I think the devil's advocate would argue, well, no, you know, in a consensus model, we have this way to get rid of difficult people. But, uh, you know, you don't hear about that happening very often. You don't hear about people coming together in consensus and saying, voting someone off the island, per se, you know. Right. In a, in a consensus-based system, I mean, first of all, usually what happens is that um, that person has to be, has, has to have done obviously, clearly bad things. I mean, as opposed to doing bad things that are just borderline. Has to, you know, and then, and then you've got to kind of document it. And then you've got to get, like, everybody else in the community to say, yeah, it's bad enough that that person needs to go. And um, you've got to effectively reach consensus minus one, the one being the person that's being expelled, in order for that to work. And it just seems like, boy, that is a probably a very long, very painful process to go through. And, and then basically when, you know, you want to you stay friends, you want to stay friends with that person, and yet that person knows that in order for them to have been expelled, that every one of those people had to say, leave. And so can't really stay friends. On the other hand, if it only takes one person to say leave, then everybody else can stay friends. 
So um, uh, we'll we'll, we'll stay seems, in touch. <laughs> so it seems more plausible. So yes, that that makes sense. So it would be more plausible, more possible, more doable um, with more of a dictator hybrid. So so those were the two examples, and then there was that uh, example you led of a household that had shared food. Right, right. So this was in Green Lake and uh, a a neighborhood of Seattle. And um, I built a hookah culture out front. Um, And at one point in time, uh, uh, everybody in the house had taken a permaculture design course. Um, And there's like 10 of us living there. And so you right. would think you would think it was awesome. Now, in many ways, because the, the 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 kitchen is one place where things typically don't work. And and now I experimented with a few different things when setting up this community. And one of them was is that we did not have a big long list of rules. We had uh, what I called a choreography document, which fit onto one page. And I think it was double-spaced. It was, like, not a lot of stuff. And it said things like, quiet time is um, 10 p.m. to uh, 6 a.m. And quiet-ish time is, like, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. is So it's like, you know, there's, there's times when things need to be quiet, and there's times when things need to be kind of quiet. Um, and then there's a thing of saying it with exceptions where everybody agrees in the house or whatever. And so basically the thing is, is that when you're a founder of a community, you, if you think, you got to think of stuff ahead of time, like this is the lay of the land and this is the way it works. Because once you go into a consensus system, it's, it's that you cannot deviate from that unless everybody agrees. Uh-huh. And and so you kind of get to lay down what is the framework that this community is going to be built on. Right. So one of the things was is that we shared uh, all the food. All the food was shared, uh, and we had um, two meals per day, breakfast and dinner. And uh, every week you would sign up for what meals you're going to prepare next week. And so on average, it's kind of like two. You, you generally say, I'm going to do two. And, and then usually uh, every other week you get a, a buy or, you know, you only have to do one um, uh, because we had enough people to be able to do that. Right. Um, right. And um, <clears throat> so uh, and the food bill was, was uh, done like this. Uh, you go to the grocery store, you buy only organic food, and we also got it through a couple of other different sources, which were cheaper, um, uh, one of which being Azure Standard, which is a thing in the Pacific Northwest that I don't think is available outside of the Pacific Northwest. But um, uh, And it would deliver food for, for really cheap. Uh, but um, uh, there's... Uh, the, the 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 key is is that you go buy the food, you put the receipt into the receipt jar, and at the end of the month, then we figure out who owes who how much money, um, kind of a thing. So, but the food bill is divided even, Stephen. Um, and I know that we were mentioning this to somebody the other night who's a teeny tiny person, and and she said like she would not want to divide the food bill even, Stephen, in the same house with me because I'm probably three times her mass. Um, so should, shouldn't I count as three? And uh, I thought that was a very good point. Um, I'm sure I eat at least three times more than she does. Uh, um, so. 
anyway. <clears throat> uh, but that gets, that gets them far too complicated, and and so it's just easier to have it divided equally between everybody. This was this was a simple system. The key is is that it worked really well. Um, there was one point where um, there was an argument about how to divide it because you know we we would have our monthly house meeting and if there was nothing to talk about we would just play cards you know and um so we got to, we would get together and then one month there was stuff to talk about and somebody said well um we are buying soy milk and only one person in the house consumes the soy milk um, everybody else in the house consumes almond milk. So maybe we should divide the soy milk out and have that one individual buy it, and you know, but everything else is shared. And uh, it was pointed out, you know, so this one individual is like, well, um, suppose, you know, so, I, so I, I asked the question, well, if we didn't carry soy milk, but we continued to drink almond milk, would you drink the almond milk instead? Yes, because effectively it's ten times cheaper, you know, because... If it's part of the community food, then consume that. On the other hand, um, he would be then consuming a carton a day, because that's how much soy milk he drank, was a carton a day of soy milk. But then he would be drinking a carton a day of almond milk. And almond milk costs twice as much as soy milk. So by drinking the soy milk, he was effectively saving the community money. Um, and so then that was the end of it. And it's like, well, I guess we just don't worry about it. Keep it simple. There are no, we're not going to exclude anything. But, um, and the, the thing that I think that you find shocking and that, you know, I know I've, I've mentioned this to you, 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 you've brought it up several times, is that when we divided the food bill once a month, we found out that our total cost for food was $108 per person for all organic food. Per month, uh, for all organic food, and it did include meat. Although, granted, um, meat probably made up only 15% of what we ate. We didn't eat a lot of meat. It was, you know, but it was meat. It was an omni thing. Um, so I, I think the thing that, that you always bring up that's an interesting point is the $108 thing. And, and I should say, well, we never bought anything like ice cream. We never bought anything like pizza, although we did buy flour and cheese and pepperoni and other pizza fixings, and we made pizza from scratch. Right, but, right. But we never bought like a frozen pizza or a pre-made pizza. We never bought anything pre-made. Everything was made from scratch. Um, and on top of well, that... You, well, you did buy lots of pasta. and So you didn't make your own pasta usually, but you did buy lots of pasta. Right. Usually being a key word. But I think the... I, I would guess that most of the pasta that we bought was gluten-free pasta. But I don't think we even had that much pasta. I think um, there was a lot of flour that was used... Uh, a lot of rice. It seems like there, there a lot of people are doing stuff with rice. There was a fair amount done with beans, and we would get rice in a fifty-pound sack, and as well as the beans. And in fact, oats. We got oats by the fifty-pound sack, and breakfasts often featured oats. Um, 
I thought we and, ate great. Were there people in the house that cooked really well? Right. Well, in 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 some parts of the country, or people who grow their the majority of their own food, hundred and eight dollars per month per person may not seem as inexpensive as it does to me. Living in the Seattle area, which is one of the more expensive areas in in the continental 48 states to live, it's um, and trying to eat organic and eat healthy. Um, my food bills have been atrocious with teenage kids and with family of big eaters and a family with food allergies. Uh, my grocery bills have been huge. So $108 per person um, per month would be a dream to me. I've never been able to reach that. <laughs> so so that has seemed amazing to me. You know, in, in the context of this location and that type of food and, and and I think it shows the power of buying in bulk. Yeah. Um, cook, cooking <clears throat> from scratch and cooking as a community and, and just imagine the power savings too, really, if you're really thinking oh. about it. Ten ten people um using Our- yeah. Our power bill was about twenty dollars per month per person, um, and and then um, we w- we moved into the part where we're getting into the winter time, and uh, I mean that was another that that was like some of the earliest some of my earliest experiments in saving energy. But we had oil heat, but we set the oil heat to fifty, and we had and we never this was never a formal thing, but we suggested it suggested the idea and everybody just seemed to do it and that was that um everybody could run a personal heater in their room for two hours a day and other than that the the house was set to 50 and we did buy a cord of wood for like i think it was even three quarters of a cord of wood for like a hundred dollars maybe it was a hundred and twenty dollars and we had a, a little awful fireplace and and we would burn a fire about every two to three days and we would all gather around the fire to warm up <laughs> like ooh, feels so <laughs> nice and right. uh and visit and then the fire would kind of slowly go out and everybody would drift away back to their rooms you know and stuff uh, and then, but then usually during the fire there'd be some music going i mean a lot of musicians were in the house um but Back to the food, $108 per month. And out of the 10 people, one of them was indeed a teenager, my teenager. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, on the other hand, he, he, he was crazy skinny. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't seem to want to eat a lot. Um, right. I think, and right. I, yeah, so I, I thought the food was really delicious uh, i thought the stuff that i cooked was um very plain um you know frequently whatever i cooked featured a cast iron skillet um in fact my cast iron skillet article my cast iron skillet article originated from that household experience because um people continued to use my cast iron skillet in a way that i was not comfortable with so i wanted to write the article to express what i would like so that hopefully um uh it would be more in a space that i'm comfortable with and and um uh, most people read it and a few did not um so but you know progress yay um right. uh 
there, this, this, I mean, there's, there's the other story, which I think I may have already shared in a podcast about how that system came to an end. Um, and it had to do with the food, but, but up until the point that it came to an end, so like for four months, five months, something like that, it was really silky smooth. Um, we, you know, the, the system appeared to simply work. And um, we just divided the bill, even Stephen, and um, uh, everybody would go shopping um, just as we needed stuff. And it was like no well, big worries. And, and I think the knife, um, as I'm shuddering, I think a good um, feedback or a good discussion point with someone who is of a dramatically different size um, in the household is, well, because we're buying in bulk, the savings are so great that you're making up for any quantity differences that people would eat or not eat. So I think that $108... Um, per person, I don't think they get the food they're eating, even if they're eating one-third of someone else. I still don't think they could get that quantity of food on their own for $108 a person. They would easily be paying, even if, you know, I, I think the person that's eating three times more than that person, their volume of food not in a bulk household situation like that would be $300 or more per person. But the person who eats a third of that, you know, or, or less right. than that other person, they would still be paying 150 or more. So I, I still think it's, it's an important value, and it just keeps things simple. You know, because then, you know, if you made it more complicated than that, then you'd have to pay an accountant <laughs> to sort yeah. it all out. And then it would go with all your savings. Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, I think that uh, a couple of big things that, that, uh, that came from it is like we got, if we buy, bought things by a 50-pound sack, it seems like a 50-pound sack of anything organic was typically – Fifteen dollars. It was it was amazing how much savings there were, and then so if you're getting rice by a fifty pound sack for fifteen dollars, it was it's and and the beans and the oats and stuff like that. I mean, it quickly becomes a, a cornerstone of pretty much every meal because you know you're thinking to yourself, boy, we're really saving money here. And on top of that, people seem to really know how to make it uh, awesome and delicious. So, um, uh, and I don't know, we just, since everything was made from scratch and the raw materials came in a 50 pound sack for 15 bucks, it, it's dominantly, then, then it, it made everything dominantly cheap. Right. Um, and of, the other thing and was course, is that I found I wasn't eating out, I wasn't going out to restaurants. Um, right. I mean, why go to a restaurant? The food's not going to be organic. And yeah. and um, oftentimes the stuff you can find in a restaurant isn't going to be as good as the stuff that we were having at home. Right, right. Well, the one thing I know some permies will be saying after hearing this is, ooh, brain-based is wrong. We need to be more, you know, root crop and, and vegetable crop and meat crop based and less grain-based and Grains aren't very sustainable, and these 50-pound sacks are still shipped, yada, yada, yada. So, but, you know, in that circumstance, in that urban situation, in the city of Seattle, 
um, on a city lot and with a household of 10 people, that was an excellent, excellent solution for that time. So True. And true. Yes, yes, there are, you know, more permaculture models where you're growing more perennial food, less annual food, and and things like that. But this, this was um, a different situation. And, and you know... Um uh, so many of the things that I did were experimental. I mean, I, I, I continuously tried a variety of experiments of uh, different kinds of community situations to find things that were optimal. And another thing is, is that um, we grew a lot of food there, you know, a fair bit of food. We grew right there. Uh-huh. And even more, <clears throat> um, I remember this one woman who lived there who was absolutely lovely um, who uh, did uh, more cooking than than was her fair share just because she loved to cook she she loved to nurture people um, but uh, the other thing was is that I remember that she would go and visit with all of our neighbors she met people that I never met she just she just had this thing where she just had to visit with Everybody. And she would find out that this neighbor had a tree full of cherries, and they weren't going to eat any of them, other than maybe a handful or two. And so she would come home with all these cherries. We'd have cherry this and cherry that and cherry this other thing for many days in a row. And then she would – she just kept coming up with all of these things. And, of course, in the Seattle area, it's like every other house grows rosemary as a shrub. And and so so much of what we ate was with fresh rosemary, <laughs> oh, nice. and um, uh, another neighbor had an ocean of grapes that they weren't going to eat, and uh, you know then of course apples and um, uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, right. not you know above and beyond the stuff that we grew on on the property. Um, right. So. She was an excellent urban gleaner. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, and so I think that urban. during during this during the warmer seasons, I think that that did indeed uh, lower our food bill a, a fair amount. And um, so I, you know, anyway, the the, the key is is uh, uh, you know, hundred eight bucks a month. I mean, that's that's got to be a reason alone. I mean, if you think about it, it's like uh, a person could live alone and their rent in the Seattle area to have a studio apartment would be like eight hundred dollars a month. And then if they're living on the cheap, their food might be something on the order of $300 a month. So they're talking about $1,100 a month in just food and rent. Uh, and then we can go into their utilities, too, but let's leave that out for a moment. But then in our household, the average rent was probably around 450 a month. And then the food bill was, um, you know, 108. So we're talking about 558 dollars a month, which is roughly, almost exactly half. So um, and uh, occasionally there's uh, uh, live music in your living room, and I just thought that the 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 visiting at the table was spectacular. I mean, right. I, I and the that was. The card game. Scrabble. Scrabble. (laughs) Yes, I remember hearing about the Scrabble. (laughs) Yeah, so... 
So Dave Bainline would go around every night at about the same time, and and he would just go to, to every every room and kind of do this scrabble, 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 scrabble. <laughs> and, and you would you would then know that it's it's beginning. <laughs> right. Well, we have to give a shout out to Dave Bainline, the director of education at the Bullock Brothers Permaculture Homestead on Orcas Island, up in the um, Puget Sound of Washington. San Juan Island. I'm sure so. that they're playing Scrabble every day there. <laughs> I just have this so. feeling. Yeah, yeah, great guy, great place, and yeah. uh, doing amazing permaculture things. So, um, but I, I think that wraps up everything we had on the list for intentional communities as a follow up to that very first podcast. And wasn't that first podcast massive, like two hours long, something crazy? Yeah, it was it, it was really long. And now um, my, my my picnic mates are calling me, wondering why I'm not at the picnic yet. Oh, that's right. Because today is the Fourth of July. You, yeah, you, you, you've got to race off and do your picnic thing. Okay. So I'm sorry, and and so that's what's interrupting the sound quality now. As I'm getting another phone call. all right well um uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about i mean um it looks like we've been doing this for a little more than an hour today but i i can't think of i i know that there's tons more stuff to talk about oh oh i've got one more thing and that is that uh i started a thread out at the uh, intentional community forum at permies.com and uh, i called the thread a paul wheaton community and and basically, I threw out the idea of um, uh, who wants to come and live in a community where I run it, uh, and and I'm it's a it's a fiefdom, and I'm the guy running the show, uh, and and basically part of the the deal was is that you know ninety nine point nine percent of the people who look at this would would utterly reject the idea. No way. Something between uh, I don't think so and no way in hell uh, kind of a thing. And, and so I, and my point was is that, I, you know, I embrace that 99.9% are going to be against it, but, you know, there's 6 billion people in the world. Um, if there's only 0.01% that are into it, I still have far more, far more people than could possibly fit in whatever scenario I dream up. I just saw that thread when we started this podcast. I haven't read it yet, and and I, I'm wondering if I should put something really humorous up there about you. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I see where you're going. No. Well, I, the important I, thing I, is the thread has been viewed 853 times, and there's been about eight people, I believe. I, I I'd have to go recount, I suppose. Eight people who have said anywhere between the uh, anywhere between maybe and say the word and I'm on my way. So ah. so you know different different grades of yesdom. And oh, and uh-huh. in which case, um, uh, this this is a, an awesome response to you know because I once asked Diana Leaf Christian about this, and and her response was the. The only people that would be interested in a fiefdom would be the lord that's in charge, because that's how the fiefdom would be. It would be the lord of the castle, and then you'd have a whole bunch of peasants. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, but you're, you're, what you're describing isn't as much of a fiefdom as a fiefdom. But, um, so I'm glad you've had good responses, but I'm going to go to a picnic. <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to remind people to come on out to the forums at permies dot com, uh, especially pay attention to the intentional community forum uh, uh, activity in the forums is is the main reason why we're doing the podcast is to help um, draw people out and and to help uh, build greater grander ideas um, and 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 move all of these thoughts forward, uh, especially the idea of going from uh, where we are now into a, a far more permaculture ask space that's that's really happening um and uh I, I, you know we, we try to keep the naysayers and the negative nellies out and um and and so we're looking for people that are you know along these lines very interested in in growth so come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about intentional community homesteading and permaculture all the time mm-hmm.